This is an AMI podcast. Welcome to the Triple Vision podcast, your window into the past, present, and future of blindness in Canada. This podcast has been made possible by a generous contribution from T-Base Communications and the support of the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians. The mission of Triple Vision is to gather and document previously untold Canadian blindness narratives, one lived experience at a time, and to make our history accessible and universally known. Hello and welcome to Triple Vision. I'm David Best, your Triple Vision host. And I'm Hannah Levitt, David's co-host. In today's podcast, we're going to investigate the history of the white cane. We know that over the past centuries, blind people have used some kind of a stick to aid in travel. However, in the early 1900s, the white cane became a tool of choice and became a global symbol of independence and confidence and also identified the carrier as being blind. So the question is, what is the Canadian attitude toward the white cane? Is it a symbol of independence and confidence? To start our podcast off today, we have our first guest, Gord Hudak, who is the chief financial officer of Ambutec, which is a manufacturer of white canes based in Winnipeg, Manitoba. So you've been around since 1985. What are some of the changes that you've seen in the white cane industry since then? Well, there's been some consolidation originally. So we were down to about four manufacturers, major manufacturers of white canes in the world when I started. And what I've seen recently is that more and more distributors are coming up with their own line of canes. And what I see is that the quality of the cane overall has probably gone down because many of these distributors are rebranding canes that are made in other parts of the world where quality is really not their top priority. Are there manufacturing standards for white canes? I wouldn't say there are manufacturing standards. They're um, not imposed by anyone except A lot of people don't understand that the white cane is a medical device. It's classed as a medical device in Australia, Canada, the United States, and the European Union. So as a medical device, it has to be registered with the FDA in the United States. It has to meet all the requirements for the CEMDR certification in Europe. And that is a relatively new one. There was the MDD standard that was set in Europe up until... April 21st, 2020, I believe it was. And at that point, a whole new set of rules, very onerous rules, came into effect. You have to have post-market surveillance on all of your products. You have to actively go after your clientele to make sure that any issues they have with the cane are reported back to you and they're reported to the authorities in the European Union. You have to have a quality management program in place within your organization and Ambutech is an ISO-certified manufacturer. You have to have uh, clinical studies done on all of your products. There's a whole raft of things. I would say it probably cost Ambutech over $40,000 to get certified to the MDR standard. And do you employ any disabled people in your industry or in your actual plant? Interesting question. We have one person on the order desk who is legally blind, Uh And we actually contacted the CNIB years ago about 
putting blind people into our workforce, and they came in and did an audit in our facility. And their conclusion was that the the process is too dangerous. So they actually didn't want us to be hiring anybody. We're a very safe organization, and I don't think there was really any reason for that assessment. But I wasn't about to take the liability issues on with bringing someone in against their recommendation. So that's why we actively went out and tried to find someone who could fit into our order desk. And she does a fantastic job. I understand that Ambutech customizes the construction of the white cane according to the user specification. Can you tell us about some of the requests you've gotten? Well, just as a standard, we make canes for the North American market in two-inch increments. And each cane is, is cut according to which tip is going on the bottom of the cane so that when it folds, all the sections are of equal length. Unless, of course, it's a rolling ball tip, in which case that large tip sticks out past the end of the cane. We also make them in five centimeter increments for Europe. We got requests after the movie Send of a Woman, where I think it was Al Pacino had a black cane. We get requests from all over the world, but there was one, um, I think it's the Maori in New Zealand. They have a, a certain color scheme that is sort of like in Canada, we have red and white. It's our flag colors. The Maori have a similar color scheme that they take ownership of in New Zealand, as well as the Aborigine in Australia. And we get requests to have canes made in those particular colors. We also get requests from fans of NFL teams that they want the the cane made in their color or universities in the United States where they're very, uh, the alumni are very gung-ho and they want to have a cane that is in the same color scheme. We made one cane that was all white. We had to source a white handle, white cord. A bride wanted it. She didn't want any black on it. It had to go completely with her wedding dress. We started to see a big increase in colored canes, and we started getting feedback from orientation and mobility specialists that this perhaps wasn't the best idea. So we put our thinking caps on, and we came up with the idea of the highlight cane, where it is still a white cane, and only the grip and the tip have a highlight color. So it's one of four very bright, almost neon colors. The idea being that if someone wanted to jazz up their cane or personalize it a little bit, they could do it probably more safely and with less confusion to the general public than if they were walking around with an orange cane or a green cane. So it must be a bit of a challenge trying to meet the demands of your consumers over the professionals in the field giving you advice as well. One of the markets is the orientation and mobility specialists, and the other market is the actual cane users and their families. So originally, my predecessor was very much focused on orientation and mobility specialists, and we still are. They tend to be the people who are doing the research and and have the data to back it up. But at the same time, our position is that we're not going to not make a product that the general public wants. We're going to have disclaimers, maybe, or advice that the cane may not be something you want to use if you're completely on your own in unfamiliar circumstances because, again, it may be confusing to the general public. Or in the case of the uh, slimline cane, in strange circumstances, it may not be robust enough to handle some of the unexpected things that you may run into. Ambutech feels that this isn't, I use the word market, but it's not really a market, it's a community. And if you're not invested in that community, 
then you're not really part of it. So Hannah, this is great information about how the white cane is manufactured. Who's our next guest that's going to help us understand how the white cane is actually used? Yes, so David, next up we have Doris Coop and Vic Pereira, who are from the organization Vision Impaired Resource Network based in Winnipeg, Manitoba. And they're going to talk to us a little bit about what happens when these same canes get into the hands of their clients and how they're perceived and how they're used and tell us some stories about that. Can you tell us a little bit about maybe some of the real life experiences that some of your members have shared with you? I guess just the first thing is that um, the people who do come to Vern are losing their vision or have been vision impaired for a few years and or have no no vision whatsoever and, and are not used to using the cane very much. So their their mobility skills may be not sufficient enough to be able to, uh, you know, walk on the streets and sidewalks. So we do have several different types of canes here. The ones that we use or people have donated or whatever it may be, that they actually experience a, a cane in their hand. And then when we tell them, you know, there are lots of options that you can actually even use a, a colored cane if you want. I understand that there is a conflict with rehabilitation professionals telling manufacturers that the cane should only be white. And yet from the consumer group, we understand that users like to use various colors on the cane. Do you have a particular policy at Vern when you're recommending canes to your members? Uh, Vern, we don't have a specific policy. We just have a philosophy that allows individuals to make their own choices. And, you know, with that, it comes uh, whatever consequences you may experience with those choices. The resistance we get, you're, you're right, it is from a lot of rehabilitation service professionals or from family members. That's, that's where most of the resistance comes. And we support each person's right to make their own decision. So do you believe there is a safety issue or do you think that having the personal choice of colors is not really a problem that we should be concerned about? Speaking for me personally, I have not used a white cane for over 20 years. I've had different colored canes over the years. I, as I tell people, the way I use my mobility cane, it's to prevent me from walking into poles or falling into holes. The color won't have an impact on that. And I also tell people, and this is with Burns philosophy, just because the cane is white, it does not create an additional sense of security. You, you still cannot be reckless because a, a magic shield or bubble does not form around you, preventing you from being uh, struck by a vehicle or walking to or bumped by people or cyclists. You still have to use other type of skills to try to make sure you're as safe as possible. But we also understand you cannot guarantee 100% safety. You know, if, if, even if you're at home, 
a lot of accidents occur there, like slips and falls and and just through a little bit of negligence or carelessness or being distracted. It's it's no different when you're out on the street. You still have to be careful. You, know, you can't, just because your cane is white instead of, you can't walk out into traffic. You have to wait for traffic to stop. Yes, safety is a personal responsibility. We kind of look at the white cane and think, like you say, it provides us with a bit of a, a protective bubble around us or something, right? So what's your opinion of a black cane then? I, I have a black one and I have an orange one and uh, I just ordered a blue one and I even have a multicolored one that I use. Uh, use. One, one cane that I recently lost, it wasn't a very attractive green. I think it was a copper green. I was in a restaurant and somebody came to me and he said, that is actually more visible than a white cane. So then do you think that rather than the color of the cane, the way that the cane is used is more important in identifying the carrier as being blind? I uh, stand behind that and Vern does as well, is use your cane properly as, as a mobility tool to help detect obstacles. And the, the general public understands. I have never had an issue using a cane other than white. They, they seem to understand. They offer help. They offer their elbow or they'll guide me to their vehicle. And they never said, why is your cane that color? That question has never been asked. Do you feel that people feel they, there's less stigma around using a colored cane? Yeah, I think that, that they feel that it empowers them to make a choice right right from the beginning. If, they're, if they've just lost their vision and, and all of a sudden, oh, I can, I can choose this, they're really surprised. And it's almost like a, you know, that they, an aha moment, we call it, that they are, they embrace the, the idea of now using a cane because they feel that they're, they're somebody because they've made a decision. Somebody else hasn't made the decision for them. And, and in many instances, they'll even order more than one because they want to match it with the, the outfits for going right. out. Yeah. And, and they feel much more uh, positive about it. And we like it, too, because it means they will be using a mobility cane, making, one, they're getting out where they may not be going out, and two, they are doing it with uh, an added measure of safety. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with a cane as a fashion accessory, right? When I um, received my first white cane, I was 12, and I was at Jericho Hill School for the Blind in Vancouver then. And our our class, we all received canes the same day. And I grew up, until that point, I was fully sighted, and then I lost my vision you know, at around 11 and 12. But I didn't really have any ideas about the white cane because I was just a kid. But what I found, looking back on that experience now, the other kids in the class called it a pity stick. And I always wondered, how did they ever come at such a young age to, to call that a pity stick? So that was my first experience with, with having a white cane. And so from there, you know, you do start realizing there is a stigma to it. But medical devices like canes and scooters and walkers, they've been coming out in all kinds of vivid, wonderful colors. Do you think it's time for the white cane to have a bit of a makeover? We've been using colored canes for several years now, and we haven't looked back. So I think it is time. Not everyone knows what the meaning of white cane is. But 
in the community, we, we do know what it stands for. We're not trying to dismiss the white cane or say that it, the symbolism isn't there. It's, it's still there. We talk about the white cane just as a symbol, but we don't talk about you having to. That's, that's not what we want you to do. You, we, you have a choice. Right. When I was uh, working with kids in the school district with blind children, I used to bring in at Christmas time, especially I'd bring in uh, like snowman stickers and candy cane stickers and we'd, we'd slap them all over their white canes and they loved the idea. They weren't, you know, they thought it was really cool to, to use their cane then. Right. Yes. So even kids feel that that bit of difference around having to use a cane. Like I say, everybody wants to make light of things and so that it's not so depressing or, or so so dark and deep to all of a sudden have to use a white cane. That's my mobility cane. That helps me get around. So we've heard from Vic and Doris about the Canadian experience of blind people learning to use a white cane and using them in their everyday lives. Um, next up, we want to hear from Charlene Ayat, who has a story to tell us about her use of her cane in an international setting. Thank you very much, Hannah. It's great to be here today with both you and David. So, Charlie, are you supportive of the self-expression through the color of the white cane? And, and how well recognized is the white cane on the streets of Canada? White canes are readily recognizable on the streets of Canada, indeed, probably throughout North America, Europe, and elsewhere. So I think, I think it's universal as far as recognition. But what's also universal is how we use canes. And so therefore, my sense is, regardless of what color it is, it's how it's being used that's most recognizable. So, Charlie, you have both a white cane and a black cane. What made you decide to try the black cane? I had just finished doing a project with a friend of mine who was working in the government. And at the end of all of that was a celebration. And we had a long conversation about the integration of blind people in the mainstream of Canada. And at the end of that evening, we decided that in order to gain acceptance as full and equal partners in Canada, that we would start using the Black King and became the Black King Warriors. And by doing that, we were relinquishing all of the rights associated with being registered as a blind person and chose to fight for mainstream integration and the end of concessions and everything we were going to get, we were going to get in the mainstream. So at the Black King Warriors, that's how we began. So tell us about your experience with your Black King when you were traveling through Africa. Oh, yes. In 2010, my husband Ian and two of our friends from the Maritimes went off to Tanzania where we have a friend who runs a hotel at the base of Kilimanjaro. So while this trip, we ended up in Zanzibar and in Stonetown, which is sometimes pretty old-fashioned, um, we were in a marketplace, and I didn't have a guide dog with me. 
and I was moving around there with my black cane, and a person walked up to me and, and said, excuse me, when did blind people start using black canes? And, and I was surprised because it was black. It wasn't white, which is recognized universally. But what was recognized was the manner in which I was using it. And, and I thought that was amazing that somebody from Stonetown on Zanzibar would recognize me as a black cane user as being a blind person. So that very short story on the recognition of cane color. And in Canada, in the wintertime, I always found the black cane more useful for me because of the snow. If I was carrying a white cane against a white snow background, who's going to even see it? As our final guest, we have Chris Danielson, Director of Public Relations at the National Federation for the Blind in the United States, to give us their perspective on the white cane. Welcome to Triple Vision, Chris. Hi, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Chris, what is the NFB's philosophy of the white cane and the symbolism of it? Well, the National Federation of the Blind, for those who don't know, is the transformative advocacy organization of blind Americans. We're one of the oldest disability rights organizations in the United States, founded in 1940. And we have been advocates of the white cane for a long time. And what we believe the white cane represents is really the capacity and independence of blind people. So rather than representing incapacity and that we're broken, that there's something wrong with us. It represents that we are independent, that we can travel independently and that we can do it safely. And it is the, the device that allows us to participate fully in all aspects of life, including education, work and community activities. I understand that in the United States, you have a white cane safety day. Here in Canada, we have white cane week, which is the first week of February each year. And white cane safety day is October 15th. Is your organization actively involved with that designated day for the white cane? Yes. In fact, what we have done in the Federation is, is expanded on white cane safety day. And it's, it is still technically called White Cane Safety Day in the law that it, that created it or the, or the joint resolution of Congress that created it, which was passed in the 1960s, I believe in 1964. But we have actually started calling it White Cane Awareness Day because it's not just about safety. It's about all of the things that the white cane does to make us independent and productive as blind people. And um, we decided that, that what we should do is celebrate the white cane all October long. So where White Cane Safety Day or what we call White Cane Awareness Day is officially on October 15th, we've traditionally had a month long celebration. And just this year, we started calling that Blind Equality Achievement Month. The Obama administration, when Barack Obama was president, actually started referring to the day in its annual proclamation as Blind Americans Equality Day. And 
the administration since the Obama administration have continued to do that. So the NFB is known for its long cane. And are you, as an organization, do you support the use of collared canes? Well, we've never really, as far as I know, taken a position on colored canes, at least not on the color of the tip of the cane. I mean, the white cane is originally white because of its high reflectivity so that other pedestrians and drivers can easily see it. And that does add a dimension of safety to blind people when we're traveling. Although, of course, we look out for our own safety as well by listening to traffic and doing all of the other things that we learn to do in order to, uh, to travel safely. You know, the great thing about the public recognizing the white cane is even though members of the public may not understand everything that the white cane means to us, they still understand that it represents us. Thank you so much, Chris, for joining us on Triple Vision and sharing the NFB's information about the use of the white cane. Thank you very much again for having us. We really appreciate the opportunity to talk about the white cane because we do believe that it is such an important and powerful tool for blind people. And you can find out more about how we feel about the white cane and about other things at our website, nfb.org. Well, I don't know about you, David, but I've certainly learned a lot about the manufacture and distribution and use of the white cane today. I was especially impressed with the fact that Canada is the uh, manufacturer of 85% of the world's white canes. I thought that was fascinating, something to be really proud of as a blind person. Yes, it's fascinating. I understand that the manufacturing is done through the Ambutech, but it, all the distribution is done through nonprofit corporations. And I like to see the day where white canes can be ordered through the mainstream stores like Amazon or Walmart, I think using the white cane is something that we all take for granted, and it's a skill that actually needs to be learned. So anyways, what's up for our next podcast, Hannah? Well, on our next podcast that we're calling In the Driver's Seat, Controlling the Narrative of the Canadian Blindness Story, we're going to have guests from our advisory panel talk about the, the Canadian blindness narrative and, and how we can change that. Triple Vision is made possible by the generous support of T-Based Communications and the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians. Triple Vision is produced in collaboration with Accessible Media Inc., AMI-audio. Sam Robinson is the technical producer and Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio. And finally, I would like to thank you for joining us on this journey. If you would like to reach out to the Triple Vision team with questions or comments, you can reach us by email at triplevision21 at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at triplevision21. 